Um, today we're in the second week of our series called The Power of Parenthood. And today we're going to look at a couple of what I think are unchanging principles of parenting. In fact, I would say they're unchanging principles in all relationships. And so, so if you're thinking, well, parenting, I've, I'm past that stage of life or I'm not in that stage of life. Well, whatever relationship you're in, I think these principles apply to that as well. But I think they especially apply in parenting because quite honestly, there are a lot of things that change as you parent. Your, your philosophy in parenting changes. I mean, from one kid to the next kid, your philosophy changes. I'll give you an example of this. When Noah was born, he took a pacifier like most babies do. And when he would drop his pacifier on the ground, what did all first-time parents do? They get that pacifier and they go quickly boil some water and they, they stick it in the, in the pacifier in that and make sure it's sanitary. And they do all of that stuff, right, before they give that pacifier back to their child. When Eli came along, we loosened up a little bit, and he'd drop it, and we'd just go rinse it off and then give it back to him. We stopped at two kids, but I know couples that have more than two kids, and when you get to that third kid, like that kid drops their pacifier, like you let the dog lick it off, and then you give it back to them. <laughs> That's just how it goes. Things change in your philosophy of parenting. Today, though, we're going to look at an encounter that Jesus had with some children, and in it, we're going to see three unchanging principles uh, really for all relationships but especially parenthood and so if you've got your Bibles flip over to Mark chapter 10 and that's where we're going to be start at verse 13 and the verses that follow here's here's what the Bible says it says people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him Jesus touch them but the disciples rebuked them when Jesus saw this he was indignant and he said let the little little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Don't miss that. That's a powerful statement right there. Don't miss that. If you if you have ever thought and I hope that you've never thought this but if you ever thought children's ministry was kind of a waste like oh, they they can just sit up with the adults and all that. Pay attention to this statement right here what Jesus says. He says the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He says, if anyone will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, he will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, and he put his hands on them, and he blessed them. And that one little story, that you know, just a few verses, I think there are three unchanging principles of parenthood and great relationships. And the first one is this, what we'll call loving touch. The, the loving and appropriate touch that, that communicates such a rich, unconditional uh, sense of love and acceptance. Verse 13, it says, people were bringing their little children to Jesus to have them do what? What, what were they bringing them? To touch them, right. Why would they bring their children to Jesus to touch them? Because there's power in loving, appropriate touch. There's power in that. Now, for years, I kind of had this freaked out image of the, the touch of Jesus. Um, it's probably from watching too many hours of bad TV preaching on, you know, uh, like the TVN channels where they just, you know. And so I kind of had this idea of, you know, people coming forward and, and the preacher just smacking people in the, in the forehead and, and healing them, that kind of sense. That's, that was my image of, of the touch of Jesus. And I, so I pictured this, you know, these little kids coming up to Jesus and, and Jesus just like, you're healed in the name of the Father. And you're healed in the name of me and in the name of the Holy Spirit. That's probably not what happened, okay? I don't think Jesus smacked any kids in the forehead. In all reality, his touch was very likely incredibly different. How do we know that? Well, we find a clue in the Greek word that's translated as touch. It's the word haptomahi. 
and it means very literally to attach oneself. It means to embrace, like a hug is, is what they're talking about. It means to hug. And so when Jesus touched the little children, it was very likely that he was, you know, kicked back, maybe sitting on a rock, and he's like, hey, bring, bring them in. Bring the kiddos in. Bring it in, guys. And he just gave them a hug. And they would have run up to him, and they would have embraced him. And he would attach himself very affectionately in an appropriate way. And he would hug them and speak encouraging words to them. It was very, very relational. Now, why is that so important? Why is it important that, that people experience that? Well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you a story that, that illustrates this. A few weeks ago, I read about King Frederick II. And I don't know if anybody's ever heard of King Frederick II, but it was back in the 13th century when he ruled. And he wanted to try this experiment. It was a kind of an off-the-wall experiment. And he said, I wonder what language kids would speak if they were never spoken to. It's like, obviously, kids learn to speak English in America because they, they hear English words. And so that's the language that they naturally learn. In, in Spain, they speak Spanish. And you know, all over the world, they speak whatever that language is. And his idea was, I, I just want to know what language they would speak if nobody spoke to them. And so he brought in 50 babies into his experimental lab. And he had some women come in to take care of these little infants. But the agreement was that they could not speak to these babies ever. They could, they could change their diapers. They could feed them. They could do all of that stuff. But they could never speak to them. There was no, you know, goo-goo-ga-ga stuff. There was no peekaboo. None of that stuff. None of it. And you know how that experiment turned out? Disastrous. Disastrous. In fact, all 50 children within a year died. And it wasn't because they lacked physical nourishment. Most would argue it was because they lacked emotional and relational nourishment. They didn't have that touch that was so important to them. Now I'm curious, just show of hands. How many of you would say that you are naturally expressive with touch? I mean, you would say that you're, you're, you're the huggy kind of, kind of person. How many of you would say that? Okay, a few of you, some of you. How many of you would say you're, you're more reserved? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not really all that huggy kind of guy. I'm just, I'm, I'm a little bit more reserved. Yeah, a few of you. Um, some of you are like, I'm not playing that stupid game. I'm not, I'm not that at all. I don't care. And, and I'm not even raising my hand. That's how un, untouchy I am. And I'll tell you, I think for, for a lot of years, I was probably on the more reserved side. And, and for years, I would use that as an excuse. I would just say, you know, I'm, I'm not a touchy kind of guy. And and, and I even made up my own touch rules, which, w- which was, especially when it came to, to guys, you know, because there's always this awkwardness when guys touch. It's just awkward. And so for me, like a good firm handshake and a look in the eye, that's a holy moment right there. Handshake, look in the eye, that's it. If you got a hug, if, if that's your thing and you got a hug, then it's, uh, you know, bring it in and three pats on the back and it's over. Any more than three pats and, and it's gone too far, all right? And all of those rules, I think, are the rules that most men play by, except when it comes to sports. And when it comes to sports, the touch rules change altogether, which is really funny. Because in sports, you can do touches that would be wildly inappropriate in any other setting, right? In sports, you can smack a guy on the butt, and it's okay, unless there's cupping, all right? All right your hand's got to be flat. If it's cup, you've got to answer to Jesus for that, okay? I mean, that's, just know that, all right? Cup, hand, ticket straight to hell. But now that we've got that settled, I want you to look at one other passage of Scripture with me real quick. Turn over to Mark chapter 6, verse 56. And check this out. This is, this is so powerful. 
Speaking of Jesus, it says, And whenever he went into the village, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them, what? Touch him. Even on the edges of his clothes. And all who, what? Touched. Were what? Healed. That's incredible. There is power. There, in, in, in this instance, but I think in a lot more instances, there is healing power in just physical touch. Now check this out. I, I did a word study on, on the word touched in the New uh, International Version of the Bible. And did you know that the word touched appears in the Gospels 20 times in regard to Jesus? 20 times the word touched is used referring to Jesus. And every single time that the word touched is, is, appears in reference to Jesus, it's always in regards to healing. There's always this there's power and, and, loving, and love in appropriate touch. And every time we see somebody touch Jesus, it's in, in a loving, appropriate way. And it's always into some sort of healing. Now, I did some research about parents and children, too. And I found this out. That girls... Their need for, for loving and appropriate touch increases as they get older. But dads, they often get weighed down because their little girls, their, their children, their bodies are doing this weird stuff. They're becoming woman-like and, and they do all this funky stuff like, you know, they get their first bra and, and that kind of stuff. And it just, their need for touch increases and dad's comfortability level decreases, right? And that's, that's okay. It's not because you don't love them. You're just uncomfortable, but dads, know this, if you're, if you're a dad of, of, a, of a daughter, know this, that during that time that their need increases, you've got to be fully engaged in loving and appropriate touch. Remember, dads, it's the most important thing that you can do to deter sexual sin in your young girls. When they learn to be touched appropriately by a loving and godly person, they'll learn to say no to an inappropriate and ungodly and touch from an ungodly person. I also discovered this. That little girls are often touched in loving and appropriate ways five times as often as boys are. And yet, the boys' needs are equal to the girls. So a lot of times, you know what happens is when a, when a boy is, you know, two, three years old, they're, they're, they're all huggy with their mom and that kind of stuff. But as that boy grows older, he gets seven, eight, nine years old, all of a sudden it's not so cool to hug mom anymore. And so they, they start to withdraw, they start to pull back. It's just not cool anymore. And so as parents, as grandparents, as just people that want to love the next generation of Christian leaders, what we've got to do is to make sure that we're still engaged with them. We've got to find creative ways to them. So for instance, for 8 to 10 year old boys, rather than hugs and kisses and Eskimo kisses and all those things that are not cool for them, you know what's cool to a 10 year old boy? Secret handshakes. Pats on the backs. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you down and wrestle with you. That kind of stuff. You've got to stay engaged with that kind of touch. Because there's power in touch. So number one is loving touch. Number two is of the unchanging principles of parenting is abundant time. Lots and lots and lots of time and then more time. Someone answered the question, how do kids spell love? And they said kids spell love, T-I-M-E. Abundant time. Look at what Jesus does in verse 13. People are bringing little children to him to have him touch them, but his disciples do what? They rebuke them. In other words, Jesus doesn't have time for them. He's, he's got more important things to do. He's got, he's got parables to tell, and he's got Pharisees to chastise, and he's got, he's got uh, dead people that need to be raised, and he's got blind people that need to be healed, and he's got people that he needs to touch to, to cure their ailments. He doesn't have time for little kids. But Jesus is not very happy about that, is he? Verse 14 says, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Indignant, that's a 
word we don't use a lot anymore, is it? The Greek word here that's translated indignant, though, uh, I think is kind of soft translation. In, in our modern vernacular, we would say he was P.O.'d, okay? Jesus was not happy with this. This was, a, this was a soft translation for that word because he was not happy. He says, no, 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 no. No, all of those other things, they can wait. Uh, the Dead people, I'll raise them. They're still going to be there. Healing people, I'll, I'll do that. Blind people, they, they'll, they'll see in a little while. Pharisees, they're still going to be Pharisees. So, so let the little kids come to me. Bring them all in. Bring them in now and let them hang out with me. How many of you all are NASCAR fans? Show of hands. NASCAR fans. A couple of you. Just want you to know that you can be healed of that. Jesus can set you free from that. I just, I, I just want you to know that. I, I'm just joking. But, but I, tell you, I tell you what's really fascinating to me about NASCAR is the pit stop crews. I mean, you've got to admit that, that, that the pit stops are incredible. Seven people in this little tight space and this car comes in, zoom, 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 and, and, and a good pit stop will last 12 to 15 seconds. That's it, 12 to 15 seconds. And these seven people, they jump over the wall and they, they change the tires, they put gas in the car, they, they change the oil, they, they clean the car, they, ch- uh, they clean off the windshields, they eat a Happy Meal, they do all of that stuff in like 15 seconds and it's like zoom, zoom, they're gone again, right? I would argue that today that many parents are doing what, what I call pit stop parenting. You parent in 12 to 15 second spurts. You know, your kid comes in from school and it's like, hey, how was your day? Great. Did you do your homework? Great. Did you wear clean underwear? Great. Don't eat yellow snow and don't have sex until you're married. Good night. Love you. Zoom, zoom, right? And you're gone. It's, it's pit stop parenting. Now, obviously, I'm kind of exaggerating to, to make a point because the truth is, is that we as parents spend much more time than 12 to 15 seconds engaged with our children. According to one article, that I read, dads are much more generous, much more generous. According to this article, the average dad spends 37 seconds a day engaged in meaningful conversation with his children. 37 seconds a day. Now let's just talk about the real world. Because those of you that are married with kids and both of you working, that's challenging. It, it's challenging, no doubt about it. Let's even take it up a, a, a notch further. If you're a single parent, God bless you. I don't know how you, how you do it. I don't have a clue how you do it, how you work a job, oftentimes two jobs, sometimes more than that, how you get kids to school and have clothes on the right way and you feed them and you do all of this by yourself. I have no idea how you do it. Single parents, you all are the superheroes of the world. But let me just say this. If you're not careful with wherever you're at, you will come up with an excuse to say. And you'll say, I just, I don't really have time to spend with my kids. Now, we would never verbally say that out loud, right? Like that's, that's. Nobody says that out loud. I don't have time to spend with my kids. But our actions show that, don't they? We, we come up with some sort of excuse. And, and let me just tell you right now, there, there's not a valid excuse for not spending time with your kids. You say, I, I don't have time. And please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying like you can't have a girl's night or a guy's night or a weekend or whatever. You can't have time yourself. You need all of those things. You, you do for your own mental health. You need that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, there's no good reason for us to say, you know, I just don't have time to spend with my kids. No, you have time for what you choose to have time for. And that's true in all, all aspects of life, right? It, not just in parenting. You have time for what you choose to have time for, period. But, but, you know, we would say, I'm a good person, so we really care in our heart about this stuff. And so we say, I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to. I, I just, I got to get some other things done first. You know, you know I got to get... I got to graduate and get my degree first, and then I'll have time to, to spend more time with my kids. And, and so just in a little while, we'll get there. Or, 
You might say something like, first, you know, I, I need to work just a little bit more because I've got this credit card debt that I, I, I need to get out of this credit card debt. It's strangling me. And so if I just work a little more, then I'll, I'll have that settled and then I'll be able to spend more time with my kids. Or, or the holidays are right around the corner. And, and when, when they get here, then I'll be able to spend more time with my kids. Let me tell you right now, if you don't decide to do it right now, you're not likely to do it. Okay? If you don't decide now to do it, you are not likely to do it. You have time to choose what you have time for. Billy Graham, one of the all-time greats, a reporter asked him at the end of his life, he said, if you had life to do all over again, what would you do differently? It's a great question, isn't it? In fact, I think that's probably a question that all of us should think about. If, if, I, had, if I had to do over again, what would I do differently? Let me tell you what he didn't say. He didn't say, I would have done ten more crusades and led thousands of more people to Christ. I mean, that would have been a great answer, wouldn't it? Not what he said. He didn't say, I would have opened up another institute for pastors and Christian leaders and, and built more leaders to change the rest of the world. He didn't say that either. Would have been a, would have been a good answer, but that's not what he said. He didn't say, I would have, have written another best-selling book that would have sold millions of copies and impacted millions of lives around the world. He didn't say that either. He didn't say uh, any of that. When he was asked, what would you do differently if you had your life to do it all over again? He said, I would have spent more time with my kids. Abundant time. I think about these jars. And I think about these a lot more now because my jars are getting empty. This is 940 gems. From the time a child is born until the time they turn 18, they're 940 weeks. 936 if you do the math, right? 18 times 52 is 936. But if you add leap years, there's four of them, you get 940. And 940 actually works much better in the countdown. We want parents to be intentional about spending time with their kids, abundant time. And I'll tell you this, as I look at these two jars, these are, are my 17-year-old and my 16-year-old. Um, I think there's 13 of these weeks left in my 17-year-olds. So, I th when I think about that, I think if I had to do early life all over again, what would I do differently? It's the same thing. I would have spent more time with my kids. In fact, I'll tell you that personally, the greatest regrets that I have in, in life to this point in, in raising my children are that I didn't spend enough time with them, that I spent more time doing church stuff, and I spent more time refereeing and umpiring ballgames. I, I wish I had been able to say no to more of those things. I wish I had not able to. I wish I had said no. I was always able to. I just chose not to. But let me tell you, in, in regards to that, having figured that out and realized that, hey, I don't have a whole lot of time left to, to spend with my kids as kids. You know, I'm hopefully be able to spend a lot of time with them as adults, and, and I think probably adult children are more fun than children children. But, but I want to still have that time with them as kids. And so I'll tell you, I don't feel bad about saying no to stuff anymore. I, I've come to that realization that, look, you have time for what you choose to have time for. And so there's some things that you have to say no to. And, and I'll just tell you, if, if it's not that I don't want to support your event or support whatever it is that you got going on. But if I've got something already planned with my kids, I'm probably going to say no. Um, and I don't feel bad about that at all. Um, I was told in an email a few months ago that a person was upset with me because I missed a church function. And they noticed that I wasn't there. And the truth is, is I wasn't there. I wasn't here for it. Um, an event was planned, and I'd already had a commitment for that date with my wife and my kids, and 
we had planned to uh, to do something it was around and we had to buy tickets for it and we'd bought tickets and months in advance for it and we just weren't going to change our plans we had already committed to this time to be together as a family and when those things happen like I'll I'll let the appropriate people know that hey it's not that I don't want to support your events not that I'm mad about this or anything like I just I have plans with my kids and so I'm going to be there with my kids I'm probably not changing my plans for that you have 940 weeks and that seems like an abundance of time. I know it does. It seems like, like I, I remember when those jars were full. And there were days where I wish, man, uh, man, I wish they'd get a whole lot emptier a whole lot quicker. But those 940 weeks, they go by so quick. And if you don't believe me, ask somebody that has kids that have gone off to college or have adult children. They'll attest to what I'm finding out now is that those 940 weeks go much faster than you could ever imagine. So number one is... That we will express love with a loving touch. Number two is that we will spend abundant time. And number three is that we want to be characterized by encouraging talk. By encouraging talk. Look at what Jesus said to these kiddos. He said, verse 16, it says, And he took the children in his arms and he put his hands on them. And he did what? Say it out loud with me. What did he do? He blessed them. Yeah. I love that. I wonder what he said. I, I, I think about that. I, I wonder what Jesus said to those little kids. I mean, what what is the Messiah of the world going to be able to say to however old these kids are that they would understand? The reality is, is whatever he wants to say, right? Like he's going to be able to communicate in such a way to them that they're going to be able to, to eat it out of the palm of his hand. And I think he expressed that he, was, that he just loved them. I don't know what words he used, but I, I have a feeling that that's how it came across. That, hey, I want you to know that I love you. That you're, you are an important part of the kingdom of God. And look, I, I just want to make this very clear. I and mean, you've heard me say this before. Our kids are not the future of the church, okay? All right, we, we need to understand that mentality. That, that's not a good mentality. That's a false mentality. Our kids are not the future of the church. Our kids are a part of the church right now. They are an important part of the kingdom of God now. Not when they're older and they've gone to college and then they can come back and, and do all the things that... that old people do in church no 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 they're an important part of the church now so we need to to teach them to to love jesus now to serve jesus now to serve community that's why when bobby talked about feeding america we talked about this as a staff i think the greatest thing that we do to lead people to love and follow jesus is to serve other people and the church is no better than when it's serving together all generations Look, older generations need younger generations, and younger generations need older generations. We need each other, but our job is to teach our kids that they are an important part of the kingdom now. Today, they are an important part. And I think that's what Jesus probably communicated to these kids. Hey, I love you, and you're an important part right now. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, hey, stop that. Hey, cut that out. Hey, stop touching your brother. Hey, don't make me pull this car over. He didn't say any of those things. He didn't say, hey, why can't you be more like your sister? No, he didn't say that. He blessed them, and he encouraged them. One of the most important things that we can do for our children is to speak words of life into them rather than words of death. Watch the words that you speak. If you're like me in the past, I was characterized probably by more catching my kids doing something wrong, always telling them what they weren't or, or you know, what they could be doing better rather than catching them doing something right. You know, rather than, hey, well done, man, I'm so proud of you. Man, you knocked that out of the park today. You, did, you're, you know, you just did awesome on that. That's probably not what I was characterized by. But, but in getting ready for this message, I found something that I, I had never dawned on me before. In, in all of Scripture, it just it hit me like a ton of bricks this week. And I thought this was so profound. 
In all of Scripture, did you know this? There's only one place that the audible voice of God is recorded in speaking to Jesus. Only one place. And that the audible voice of God, that you actually, that people heard the voice of God and he spoke to Jesus. I'm sure it happened other times, but there's only one time that it's recorded in Scripture. And it's right after Jesus was baptized. It's in Matthew 3.17. And this is what the Heavenly Father said to his child. He said, this is my son, whom I am what? Whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Think about this. The, the only time, the one time, the only time that, that it's recorded of God speaking to Jesus audibly, his words are words of affirmation. I am pleased with my son. I am so proud of you. Heaven is breaking open so that I can brag about my child. I want the whole world to know that this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Parents, you've got one chance. Time, talk, and touch. For those of you that might say, well, you know, I've just got a lot going on. I get it. But let me just tell you, the next time you're, you're holding a little baby, I want you to take a mental picture of you holding that baby and then blink. Because when you open your eyes, that, that little baby's going to be walking across the floor. And take a mental picture of that, of that, of that child walking across the floor. Because, and then blink. And because when you open your eyes, that little child is going to be riding down the driveway on a bicycle. And take a mental picture of that because when you, when you take that mental picture of that child riding down the driveway on a bicycle, sending them off on a bike, and you blink, when you open your eyes, that child is going to be driving out of the driveway in a car. And then you want to talk about learning how to pray. You'll pray like you've never prayed in your life. But I want you to blink then too. And open up your eyes and that child will be driving off to college or to get married or to start life on his or her own. And if you don't believe me and you think I'm just being overdramatic about it, then blink. But I would tell you, 940 weeks goes by way too fast to blink. We have an obligation, we have a priority for these principles, to, to use these principles in our lives, to, to, to love lovingly and appropriately touch our children so that they know, they feel that physical sense of love from us. To spend abundant time with them. So that they know that they are the most important thing in our lives to us. And then to talk good with them. To talk well with them. So that they are they're built up and encouraged rather than beat down and discouraged. Touch, time, and talk. These are three unchanging principles for parenthood. But also just for any relationship. I'm praying that we don't blink. And that we don't miss this opportunity to pour into the lives of the next generation of church leaders. Let me pray for us.